Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Listen, man, this is coming from 2 Corinthians 9. This is Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. We studied the first one. If you haven't heard it before, you can go back and look on our website. And you can get every verse that was preached on in Corinthians. We didn't skip one. That was the second actual letter to the Corinthians. There was one that preceded that one. Then there was a sorrowful letter. That was the third letter that we don't have a written record of, but it's made reference to in Corinthians. And actually what is called 2 Corinthians in our Bible is actually the fourth letter to the Corinthians. And what's happening as Paul is writing this letter He sends out this letter to the church at Corinth, um, but it's actually, um, um, Corinth is the central kind of figure in a region or a province of Achaia. And so he sends it, he addresses it to Corinth, but it's to all the house churches that are actually in that area and vicinity too. It's to be led to all them. One of the key things that uh, Paul is going to deal with and kind of address, it's actually funny, um, it's going to deal with uh, the relationship between Paul's suffering and his actual apostolic life and ministry and actually the fact that he wasn't impressive, the fact that he didn't have a booming ministry, the fact that he didn't have all the accolades, it was bothering some sects of the early church. They actually thought Paul was weak. So Paul finds himself now in the defense of God's grace on the basis of his weakness. How are you going to tell me the God you preach about is that great? Look at your life, Paul. Paul is now unpacking this for some people. And so essentially, where we kind of find ourselves today by the time we get to chapter 9, he has commended Titus to go into Corinth and the rest of those house churches in the region and to basically um, exact from them, uh, he's raising an offering uh, for the Macedonian church, or, which was basically in Jerusalem. There, are some, uh, 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 there were Christians who were struggling. They were suffering mightily. And so Paul then calls on the churches to raise up an offering to contribute uh, to those people. But the way that he does it is really important in the six verses that or seven eight verses that precede where we are at um essentially paul is going to tell them how he wants to give he pulls up on him say hey there's some there's some of your other brothers and sisters in the body of christ who are separated by geography but you are united in spirit they're struggling Hey, raise the offering. We need to help them. But then he throws out the caveat. He says, hey, I don't want you to just help them. Verse 6, he reminds them of a principle. He says, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What you saying, Paul? Hey, he's just reminding them, before you reach into your pocketbook, I know I've asked you to give, but before you actually sign the check, I want to let you, remind you of something. Hey, it's a natural law that, hey, man, if you sow sparingly, you probably won't get a big harvest. That is a general principle in agriculture. If somebody in backwoods Tennessee takes a handful of seed and think he's going to raise a whole harvest of oranges or whatever thing he's kidding himself you can only reap in proportion to what you sow it's an agricultural principle but I want to tell you Avenue Community Church it's a spiritual principle 
You do reap what you sow. And if you sow spiritually, you will reach, reap bountifully spiritually. Does anybody believe that in this room? In my old church, we used to say, you can't beat God giving. And that's what Paul is reminding them of before you sign the check. Hey, I don't want you to give out of a spirit of what, what can I afford to give? Well, what, what can I, how much will I have left over? Paul said, no. If you give lavishly and generously, your God who gives lavishly and generously, oh, he going to find a way to open up the windows of heaven and pour it out on you. That's not crazy charismatic talk. That's your boy Paul talking. Paul says you reap what you sow. And I want y'all to give, and I want you to give uh, heartily. But here's the other caveat, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, everybody say not reluctantly, or under compulsion. I know everybody on the trustee, the elder ministry, they're probably going to be mad at me right now. But I suspect if we were really giving appropriately, we would probably experience major waves in giving and probably some lows. If you weren't just rotely, robotically, just automating things, and you actually considered your giving as a part of your worship, and you checked your heart before you went in that pocketbook, you might even say, hmm, I need to get my heart right first. But then when your heart got right, you'd make up for 10 times the times you actually would have been suppressed to give. When you do it right from the heart, out of true admiration and adoration for your king, you'll give more. That's the thing. I did. Some of y'all know there's a big thing about Creflo Dollar. Me and Ryan were sitting out at Perkins <laughs> talking about it this morning. It's like, man, you know what? When, when Creflo Dollar, if y'all don't know, TBN specialist, one of, my first, one of my first preachers of God's word, you know, he's the one who had a $65 million jet. But he got before his congregation, he said, hey, man, y'all, I've preached it wrong. We don't believe in tithes over here no more. That's not in the New Testament. We believe in grace giving. Now, most people immediately are like, yeah, we don't have to tithe no more. Because all you're thinking about is that measly little 10% and the fact that you ain't got to give it no more. But you don't realize, bonehead, that if you're actually giving in proportion to your thanksgiving for the grace of God, Pastor Tim, can I give today? Yes, man. Can I give tomorrow? Yes. Can I give on Wednesday? Yes. Can I give on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I can't stop giving because he's so good to me. Yeah. Yeah, if you were actually motivated by the grace you want to be under, hear, yeah, Lord. Paul is pulling on those strings. He says, I don't want you to think about the suffering. I don't want you to think about those things. I want you to give voluntarily, and I want you to give with a cheerful heart, not being under compulsion. You remember this tactic? This is what he says to uh, Philemon in regards to Onesimus. Hey, I could come to you and just tell you what the right thing is to do. I could come to you with my apostolic authority, but I want to appeal to you based on the gospel and love. I want to appeal to you based on grace to motivate your actions. And so here's where we are. I just want to, it was so funny. Y'all are such good Bible expositors. We were in our time meeting. I was thinking I was meeting with Gil. 
And uh, she just leaked it out. She didn't, she didn't rebuke me, though I know she would rebuke me. We were going through our verse, and God is able to make all grace abound, abound to you, having sufficiency in all things, at all times, in all space. Right? We're going through it. And then I think you prayed it or something. She spoke it, and she was like, the specific context of this verse is. I said, okay, Gil. Okay, go and check me, right? She was trying to guard us. She may or may not. She might have been trying to guard us against the coffee mug scriptures. That we have a tendency, right, to take out of context, to proof text, isolate that verse, and then kind of make this Christian motivational goodwill category, right, that just promises that God will make everything all right all the time. And she's absolutely right. So I want to be very clear to you. The context of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. Is that God desires for his people to be cheerful, voluntary givers to his work. That's the context. But here's what you need to know. That in the way to motivate them, Paul uses a general principle to speak to a specific situation. Why is it, why is it that we should be cheerful and voluntary givers? Because your God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's why you're supposed to do it. Where did that come from? Because that is a general principle of the God of the Bible. He's a provider. He's a sustainer. And so we just want to lay on that point for the next couple of minutes. Oh, that's good, man. I got about an hour left. Shoot. Let me take my, take somebody. This is when y'all supposed to say, take your time, Pastor. No, not, this is not that anointment today. <laughs> all right, that's all right. Get behind me. Anyway. So we're not preaching today on the imperative. Y'all know what an imperative is? When you actually look at 2 Corinthians 9, there's, there's not a lot. This might, that might have been the only one. To be cheerful, voluntary givers. But what we are going to preach on today is just the basis for that imperative. Why are we to be cheerful givers? Because of these certain principles. And so let's look at them real quick. Paul starts off, he just says, and God is able. Everybody say able. But I, mean, I just need your, your best preacher voice. Come on, say, God, God is able. able. Man, I just, look, we just need to spend all types of time just talking about God's capabilities, yes. the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, most powerful being in the universe. Don't tell me you serve him if you doubt him. What can't he do, y'all? What can't he do? This is why the command in the Bible not to fear is actually a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not poetry. Do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. And Paul picks up on it. He says, God is able. Another translation says, and God is able to make, uh, provide you with every blessing in abundance. Just pause. God is able to provide you with every blessing there could possibly ever be in abundance. Do you believe that? Yes. Now, what's that based on? Let's do some doctrinal work. Let's just talk about the providence of God. What does providence mean? One dictionary says it's the continuing and often unseen activity of God. How many of y'all know God is doing things you don't even know is happening? 
See, he's, he's, it's the continuing and often unseen activity of God in sustaining his universe, providing for the needs of every creature. The grass don't even want to know, need to know how it's clothed. The birds don't even have to wonder how it's going to get fed. You see that in Matthew 6. And it is the preparing for the completion of his eternal purposes. Y'all do know God did not turn this experiment over to us, that he's still in control. God's the creator of everything. You know that, Colossians 1 and 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Job 5, 9 and 10, I think this is one of Job's crazy friends who just says, but if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. Why? Because God performs wonders that cannot be fathomed. Miracles that cannot be counted. He provides rain for the earth. He sends water on the countryside. The lowly he sets on high, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their craftiness, and the schemes of the, will, the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the daytime. At noon they grope as in the night. He saves the needy from the sword in their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope and injustice shall shuts its mouth because God is on the throne. I wonder if I got any Christians who still believe in the providential power of God. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. I wonder if you would just carry Colossians 1.17 the next time you go to the voting ballot. I wonder the next time you're about to engage in a social media uh, uh, turmoil that you carry Colossians 117 on your heart. The next time you got to go to the bank or got to go to the hospital, do you believe that your God holds all things together? We're talking about providence. Paul is able to, he's not... He's not unsure. He's able to say to them that our God will make all grace abound to you on the basis of God's providential testimony all throughout Scripture. It doesn't end just with how he clothes the lilies. It doesn't end with how he feeds the birds. It's also fulfilled ultimately in God's saving purposes that are fulfilled through him. Acts 2.23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This man, Jesus, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You think God left whether or not his people would be redeemed and be fully uh, ransomed to himself? No. Nope. He says, when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God's got a plan. And anywhere God has a plan, he has the resources. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You saw when the gospel evangelist says that no man should start building a house if he don't have the requisite materials to finish it. I'm here to tell you God has begun a good work and he's got the resources to finish it. And he will not spare one thing to have his, his purposes accomplished. That's your God. And that's why Paul says, if you participate in God's work, baby, you're going to get all kinds of grace abounding to you in all types of times, in all types of situations, in all types of unique ways. Do you believe it today? 
The Baker definition of providence just says this. Providence is God's activity throughout history in providing for the needs of human beings, especially those who place their faith in him. God is sovereign. He does reign over the just and the unjust. But he has an extra special bent on supplying the needs of those who have placed their faith in him. Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus today? This is why this verse doesn't even stand in isolation. This is why I can preach it with confidence. Because the same man who wrote to uh, the Corinthians and the house city churches and is pulling an offering and telling them that God can make all grace abound to them at all times and all seasons, he wrote the same thing to the church at Philippi, that God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. You better hold on to this general principle, y'all. God has a plan, and if you're in it, he can make all the things you need get to you in ways you could never imagine. So Paul kind of closes up about the generosity. It's like, hey, man, be voluntary with it. Don't give out of compulsion. He says, give cheerfully. And then he closes with another principle. Uh, this is actually after our verse. Uh, it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way so that you can keep on being generous on every occasion. You want to participate in God's work? He's going to make sure you have everything you need to keep doing it. You want to keep money and food in your house? Keep sharing it. You want to believe the gospel deeply? Keep sharing it. You want to be welcome? Keep welcoming other people. This is a spiritual principle, y'all. You will reap what you sow. And that is an amazing opportunity for some of y'all who have been struggling in stagnancy, some kind of dryness, some kind of you know, social kind of just, you know, we've hit a, a lull and a hump. Why don't you in faith just start sowing what it is you want to reap? So he says, hey, man, God is able to make, to bless you abundantly, to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times you have all that you need. But here's the last and final point, why? And I've already preached in the middle of it. So you will abound in every good work. What is the good work, Pastor Tim? You know that, let your light so shine before men so that they might see your good works, and what are they going to do? Glorify. Glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah. How about that's another thread that Paul has picked up on and is here now for us. 
We preached on this a couple weeks ago when we were doing VBS, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, right? Which God prepared beforehand. 1 Peter 2.12, conduct yourselves with such honor among Gentiles that though they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God is about this good work. God is doing something. You need to put it in your notes. God is doing something, and I am constantly, daily, presented with a choice. Either I'm doing my own thing, or I'm going to get to participate in what God is doing. Every day you wake up with that choice, all of us have it. No matter whether you're on your hospital bed, no matter whether you are cashing million-dollar checks, you get an opportunity to participate in the eternal work and purposes of God, or you get to do your own thing. I wonder which one you're going to choose. Because there's only one thing that's going to guarantee fruit, no matter the season, and that's God's work. What is good work, Pastor Tim? I just, let me give you these four things. I think it's that which glorifies God and advances his kingdom. What's good work? Whatever's glorifying God and advancing his kingdom, that's good work. What is good work, Pastor Tim? It's that which causes you and others to love and worship him more. It's that which causes you to love and worship him more. It's good work. What's good work, Pastor Tim? It's that which blesses your neighbor. How many of y'all know that God is about blessing your neighbor? Taking, a, taking some from you inconveniences yourself so that your neighbor can have. And also, just add this. That good work also matches the plan and the timeline of God. Good work also matches the plan and the timeline of God. I was talking to one of my dear friends this week. We were just struggling. You know, we've been round the mountain. And how many of y'all know, like, your journey with Jesus probably looks like a whole lot more like the children of Israel than it does you working your way through SES. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, right? No, no. How many of y'all know, like, man, golly, we just going around the same desert. Oh, and over, and over, and just, let me just tell you, shame on you, the arrogance of you. Just to think, oh, yeah, yeah, I learned that, so I'm going to kill that. Oh, I learned that now, so I'm going to, okay, now I'm in. No, no, that's not how it looks, y'all. And some of y'all, when I pastor y'all, the, the, what you get most devastated by is your lack of what you think is this. What I think God is trying to do is, is not try to graduate you out of less need for him, but really to point you to how dependent you actually are on him. So as you circle the desert, the devil is also in your voice. See how, look, see how much you aren't strong as you think you are. See how weak you are. And Jesus is like, yes, you are weak, but I'm here. Amen. I've been trying to tell you that the whole time. You were in a hurry to get nowhere. I got you. Because I'm doing a thing. I'm not doing your thing. I'm doing a thing. And you can choose today. 
what you want to do. You want to do you or do you want to do me? But what happens when we choose to do us, that's when the anxiety and all those nasty little friends of the devil start seeping in. It's because we, we, we really sometimes, I think we got to be a little better in our, in our presentation of the gospel. When we come to you, we're not just offering you forgiveness of sins. That's just the access point. We're actually offering you a much better way of living, which begins and ends with the lordship of Jesus. You have to be willing to say, I don't want to burn. You got to say more than that. You got to say, I don't want to burn, but I also want to submit to his way. I'll take his way. That's why he says, take my yoke. I got a better one. It's much lighter. It's much lighter than the timeline you have for yourself. much lighter than the goals and the trajectory that you put on yourself. That's why you, you said that because you're 42 and you're single, that you're no good. I never said that. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. And every day that you wake up, I delight over you with singing. And if you're receiving any kind of lies, it's not because I've spoken those over you. You've woken up and you've decided to choose to do you and not me. What if God only promised you this, y'all? What if the basis of his promises towards you was just this, that he promised you he'd be with you always? What if God promised you that he would indwell you by his spirit, and he would give you peace, and he would give you joy? He wouldn't, he wouldn't always change your circumstances, and he never promised to do it, but he promised to be with you, and he promised to give you everything you need to have peace and joy? And what if he just promised you that you could spend four decades, five decades, six decades, seven, eight, nine decades on this earth and that you could participate in something that will last for eternity? And what if that was it? Would that be enough? Would that be enough? If you never got pregnant, if you never got the promotion, Would that be enough? Here's the sobering and good news. That everything Paul is telling them is only based on those promises. That I promise you I will always be with you. And I can make every kind of grace abound to you so that you will be aware that I'm with you. And I'm going to make all kind of grace and peace abound so that I can get my hope and joy in you. And I promise you that if you are participating in my good work, I'm going to make all kind of resources flow to you so that you can keep doing that good work. But I didn't promise you that I would help you get her. I didn't promise you that. I didn't promise you that you'd be that. I didn't promise you that. And I promised you, if you trust me, I got a plan for your life that will be more fulfilling than the one you have designed for yourself. This is on this principle 
that God is determined to fulfill everything that he's doing? Listen, 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his timeline and plan, what? He's going to hear us. John 14, 12, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, Jesus, will also do the works that I'm doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. God will do anything he will unleash and unhinge anything to see his purposes come to fruition. I think it would be wise of us to do anything we could to stay and live in that stringary. Because, hey, Bob, Bob, he know about money. A little investment, you know what I'm saying? Bob, I, look, this is so funny, y'all. I came to 2PC, you know, 2PC culture, you know what I'm saying? Went from Mobile to 2PC. And me and Gina put in a joke for a long time. I finally had a little, you know, I had a little cash on me, you know what I'm saying? Had a little situation, had a little come up. Everybody say, come up. So I went to my little friend, my elder friend at 2PC. I was like, you know, hey, my man. I said, say I had an extra 500. You don't even, you don't even need the 100. You didn't need a 100. H-U-N-N-I-D. I said, say, my boy, if I had an extra 500. He, he, did, uh, he did stocks and bonds. I was like, man, can you do a little something with that for me? He's like, no, brother. <laughs> I'm like, what? what's going on, man? They don't want my money. You don't want my 500? But if you're an investor, you take your hard-earned money and you place it where you think you have faith, you believe that something could pop off, you could get a return. When Paul says, I want y'all to give, but I want you to do it voluntarily, I want you to do it cheerfully, he's saying, I need you to activate your faith, which is the currency in God's kingdom. Because if God makes you do it, you're not demonstrating faith. But when you, on your own, say yes. I see the kingdom moving. I see the potential for kingdom advancement. I'm about to sow into that. Now you are activating your faith. And Hebrew says, without it, you couldn't even please God. But with it, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, believe in him, trust in him, have confidence in him. You will, I love this. When God, when, when Paul says he's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and all times, you know what that also means? <laughs> in all things in all, at all times is that Christian people are not exempt from everything that the world will deal with. We have miscarriages. We have losses in the family. We have financial setbacks. We have struggles in our family. We have struggles in our marriages. 
We have struggles uh, as we navigate the culture. We're not exempt. God never says, I'm going to remove you from all the things that everybody else deals with. But he does say, I do have something for you that the rest of them don't have. I've got grace coming to you. What's that grace coming to do, PT? You write it down. I want you to see if you believe with me this week. You need to expect. You need to expect that God will give you grace to keep trusting him. He is doing everything to supply you and resource you with everything you need to maintain your confidence in him. Do you believe it? You need to believe that all types of grace is coming to you to help you fight sin and resist it. 1 Corinthians 10 comes to mind. That there are ways of escape that are literally being made for you. You don't have to choose to do what you're about to do. There's people. There's an open door. Run out of it. Those are graces being made to you. And if you set your mind to build God's kingdom and to advance his kingdom, to share his gospel, you better expect, you better expect all kinds of graces coming in your direction. You can remember these verses easy. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, the one we're preaching. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know that one, right? It's abundant God. Said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich in what? Because I'm still driving my 2013 Dodge Caravan. It's rich in every spiritual blessing that God has at his disposal. This is why this verse is as true. Romans 8 is as true. We don't have to just write that off as just hopeless Christianity. We just trying to whimsically wish our bad energy away. Uh, You know, all things work together for the good of those who love God. No, that is true, y'all. It is true, y'all. It is true, y'all. And you know why it's true? It's because the one who was rich and had it all became poor. So by that, you could become rich in all these blessings. I saved this to the end. I just want to talk about grace. That word charis here in Corinthians is the word used for grace. And I know sometimes, you know, when we do grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the like me. I was with laws, but now I'm brown, was blind, but now I see. You know, sometimes we immediately go, because you know we got to be faithful to the gospel. 
Maybe some of y'all just don't understand what the gospel is. So we run and we, we take grace and we pigeonhole this thing to gotta be in regards to uh, sin and mercy in that category. But the way that Paul is using the word grace here is he's, he's talking about a God, somebody who is the author of every kind of gift that there could ever, ever be, who has at his disposal benefits and blessings of every kind, literally every variety. If I wasn't crying and worshiping, I was going to give y'all the intro about sometimes when we go to the hairdresser and you're like, listen, you see this? You're trying out a new hairdresser and you're like, listen, 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 can you give me that kind of cut? And the person like, yeah, I can give you that kind of cut. Well, listen, hey, 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 can, can you do that kind of cut, but can you do it um, in this kind of time frame? Like, yeah, man, I think we can get you done. You know what I'm saying? Well, well can you do it uh, uh, um, and put this in it? And they're like, yeah, you can do that. And, and well, can you do it on this kind of budget? That's the last question. And you like, you know, you know, you hit three out of the four, you know, you waiting on the no. Sometimes we be waiting. Sometimes we be waiting on the shoe to drop on grace. Surely, God, you're not capable of that. I know the answer's going to be no at some point. <laughs> I got all kind of grace, cuz. <laughs> all types, what you need. All kind of situations, what you need. You know, all kind of seasons, what you need. Gray hair, short hair, big boys, little boys, South Memphis, you know, East Memphis. What, you, what do you need, people of God? I got it. Do you believe it? That word cares, it means that because of Jesus, that the one who has all the gifts is trying to literally get gifts to his people. But the word is to him, you're going to go, say, he's leaning over. The word is that he's, le the, the body posture of Karis is literally, he's trying to lean over so his favor can get to you. Do you believe that God is trying to break his neck literally to get you everything you need? Jason, I got you. Emily, I got, I got, I got you. I got you. I'm done. You want to hear a gospel presentation? You tell me anything in this world that can offer you that. Your political party, a new boyfriend, new lover, changing your sexuality, changing your career. You tell me one thing that can offer you all kind of grace at all times and all seasons. You tell me one of those things that will die and pay your debt of sin and give you life in Jesus. It's nothing.